Good evening. Welcome. We continue tonight in 2 Timothy, and we are in chapter 4. Before we get stuck into chapter 4 and we read it, uh, let me remind you of the last sermon that we heard from 2 Timothy. We reminded that we are equipped by God's Word to serve Him in all things, and God has blessed us with His Word. They are the mighty words of God that have been spoken to us. But now we ask the question, what is Paul to do with these words? And this is where, sorry, Timothy, this is where it leads us to tonight. And Paul gives Timothy a very important charge. So let us read from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, uh, page 1183 in your pew Bibles. And we will read the first four verses. Let's hear from God's Word. I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray before we hear God's word tonight. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that in it we have the words of eternal life. And Lord, as it's now preached, Lord, to us, our Lord, may the words that are spoken not be my words, Lord, but your words, Lord. May your spirit, uh, Lord, may be working not just in myself, but in the hearts and lives of all of us here, Lord, that we may put into action your message, Lord, and live it out for your glory, Lord, and for our joy. And we pray that you may help me, Lord, to understand and speak this clearly tonight for all of us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, listen to some of these final words. Goodbye. Good night. Until I see you again. Until the next time we meet. Take care, my friend. We will have tomorrow. These are some common final words that we say. But we don't really think about it until we think, what about our final, final words that we will say? This week, I googled what some of the most famous and memorable final words said are. And let me give you some of them. Karl Marx said in his final words, Go on, get out. Last words are for fools who have not yet said enough. Oscar Wilde said, Either the wallpaper goes, or I do. And actor Humphrey Bogart said, I should have switched to scotch instead of martinis. And Winston Churchill said, I'm bored with it all. See, our world sees these quotes 
as the most memorable words of all time. But they're not very memorable or inspirational. And they're, they're pretty meaningless when you think about it. For a Christian, what do you think God would want us to say, or what would want you to say as your final words? And this is where we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4 tonight. Paul, he's giving Timothy his final words. And he's not going to waste them. And what we'll see in our passage is that we are to preach God's word and run the race. For Christ has a great reward for his people. There's three things I want to share with you. One, the final charge. Two, the final warning. And three, the final encouragement. So as we come to verses 1 to 2, let's now think about the final charge. And we see here Paul giving Timothy one final charge or or order to carry out. And it's being said at a very sad time. Paul is he's in a tough place. You see, he's in prison. He's awaiting trial and he's living in rotten, filthy conditions. And according to tradition, Paul was beheaded not a long time after this letter was written. And as he thinks about the end, he gives Timothy not just memorable last words, he gives Timothy one final charge to carry out. And what is it? It's in verse 2, but before we get there, we need to see that what Paul is saying, this charge, it's before God and Christ Jesus. See, what Paul is about to say is not about him. It's about the triune God and his work of salvation through Jesus Christ. It is God and not Paul who is the final judge. You see, God is the final judge for every single human being. We must all give an account one day when Christ appears again. See, he is the one who will judge the living and the dead, as verse 1 says. And now, Paul is writing, what, he's, what Paul is wanting to do is he wants to tell Timothy that he needs to do something very important. Paul is making sure that his final words that are spoken to Timothy are leaving a mark. And what does Paul say? This now leads us to verse 2. He says, preach the word. And as we heard in chapter 3, the word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's because of this that Timothy must now preach the Word of God. And another term for preaching is to proclaim or herald or declare the gospel message. See, a message that is not just revealed to us in the New Testament, but is beautifully concealed in the Old Testament too. See, Timothy is to preach the whole Bible because all of it is given to us from God to achieve His purposes. You see, it's the glorious gospel message that is in the whole Bible 
that will change the hearts of those listeners. Timothy, he can preach many things to people, but if he fails to preach the gospel message of repentance and forgiveness in Jesus, his work is in vain. After theological college, it is estimated that most preachers on average should preach about 1,500 sermons in their lifetime. That's about 45,000 minutes and 4.5 million words that they will say. Now, I want you to think, what if in that time they never preached about the risen Jesus who saves? What if they never spoke about forgiveness and repentance in Jesus? In fact, what if every one of those 4.5 million words were all just words for a big motivational talk about how you can be a better you and live your best life now? What a waste that would be. That's, that's not what will change the hardest of hearts. That's not what will restore the most broken of lives. It's only the gospel that can do that through the work of God's Holy Spirit. And that is why Paul is telling Timothy to make this his life's work. This is what Paul devoted his whole life to, and this is what Timothy must continue as well. I mean, think about the state of the church during Paul's time. All of the apostles and witnesses who saw the resurrected Jesus will soon be no more. They will all die. And how will the gospel continue to go out into the world? To continue what the apostles have done, Paul is metaphorically passing the baton on to the next generation. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. See, by the power of God and through His Spirit, faithful men and women take the message of the gospel and they teach it to others. As the Scottish preacher Alistair Begg says, we preach the word because it's a word ministry. It is exercised by the fact that the word of God does the work of God by the spirit of God through the people of God. I'll say that again. The word of God does the work of God by the spirit of God through the people of God. Paul is saying, Take this wonderful message, Timothy. Take it, brothers and sisters, here at Donvale, and proclaim it to others so that they may have the greatest gift that anyone can have. Timothy, take this gospel message and ensure that it goes from one generation to the next until Jesus returns again and appears for all to see. Can you imagine where we'd be today if Timothy and his generation didn't share the gospel message? Would we be, what would, where would we be 
if the next generation after them and then the ones after and after and after didn't take the gospel to their generation. See, it is only by God's grace and the power of His Holy Spirit working in His people and in His Word that we today believe in the risen Lord Jesus. And it's because of this great message that Timothy is to be prepared in season and out of season. See, this work is a continuous work. It doesn't stop. It doesn't have an off-season like the footy or the cricket or the rugby. You don't preach the gospel in summer and then hibernate in winter. You don't preach it when people are receptive only. You preach it when they're also not receptive. You see, this work, it doesn't stop. And Paul is saying, don't stop, Timothy. Reprove, rebuke, encourage. It's tough, and people will not like you correcting them. But that is why he needs complete patience and teaching. Because people will stumble. People will fall. People will take time to grow and mature in the faith. And people will cause trouble and give you great difficulty. But don't stop teaching them, Timothy. Persevere, even when it's tough. Persevere. This week at the office, we had some godly friends of ours who who serve overseas, and they asked for one specific prayer request. They said, would you pray that God would help us to persevere? Why did they ask this? Because ministry is tough. We need to be patient and continue to teach people the truth, doing all things, in verse 2, hand in hand. This is Paul's final charge to Timothy. And now in verses 3 to 5, he gives him a final warning. Let's read verses 3 to 4 again. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves false teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We as a church here at Donvale, we're we're very blessed. We have four ministers who take preaching the word of God very seriously. How do I know this? I have the great privilege of seeing them every week wrestle with Scripture. They seek to preach each passage that they have faithfully to all of us here. And they don't run away from preaching tough passages. In fact, most of what our pastors preach would be quite offensive to many people, particularly those who don't believe in the Bible. What is quite sad, though, is that there are many churches today who are shying away from preaching the whole gospel because they are worried about what other people think. They're worried about offending people. So what do they do? They preach what people want to hear. They preach what is itching someone else's ear. And and what does such preaching lack? 
it lacks biblical truth. People then start avoid preaching about sin. People avoid preaching about repentance. People avoid preaching about God's wrath and judgment. And they only preach things like love, kindness, solutions to problems, being the best you and, and finding physical healing. This is what many people want to hear. Now, don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. God is a God who abounds in love, kindness. He listens to our cry for help and He can most certainly heal us from our sickness and disease. But the reason that He does all these things is because He has shown His mercy and grace to sinners who deserve His wrath and judgment. And He does all of these things for His glory and our joy. But this is not what people want to hear. Fortunately, people have itching ears that are seeking something else. This week I came across a video on YouTube of a mega church that many of you would know of uh, doing baptisms. Uh, now, we probably wouldn't actually call them a church with what they teach. And they were asking young adults and young kids who were being baptized to say two things their name and why they were getting baptized. Some of the responses, they were comical, and some of them were just plain sad. Uh, l- let me share with you some of them. Uh, one of the, uh, there are four of them. The first one goes like this. Hi, my name's Ellie, and I'm getting baptized because God wants me to go on a new, new adventure, and I'm so in. The other one was, hi, my name's Leon, and I'm getting baptized because Jesus is cool. Another one is, hi, my name's Destiny, and I'm getting baptized because I want to start a new chapter in my life. And I want to feel good and have love and peace. And there was one that just threw me away, almost in laughter. Uh, this, this one person, her name was Crystal. She said, hi, my name's Crystal. And I believe God is going to make me the leader of, the anim- of an animal kingdom that will go around the world and protect animals all over. See, when people come to church and hear anything but the gospel preached to them, they don't know what the truth is. They don't know what God has done through Jesus. And these these so-called preachers, in these so-called churches, they are without excuse. You see, they have the same Bible that we have, yet they turn away and they reject the truth. They they preach what people want to hear so that people feel good and that they're popular. How sad is that? You see, the slope is slippery. And it gets worse when you wander from the truth. Scandinavia, they're an example of this. You have many people in Scandinavia who don't believe in the God who made them. And do you know what people believe in in Scandinavia? They believe in fairies. This is true. They believe in the stories of elves and other fictitious creatures. And Paul tells Timothy in verse 4, once people wander from the truth, they start believing in myths. Paul continues in verse 5 to remind Timothy what he needs to do. He says, as for you, Timothy, unlike those silly people, always, be sober-minded, 
endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let me unpack these four very important commands and imperatives that Paul gives Timothy here in verse 5. First, be sober-minded. Be sane mentally and spiritually. Have a clear mind. How can a drunk person make clear decisions? When they're hungover, they forget what happened the night before. So Paul is saying, Timothy, when you have a clear mind and are not distracted, you can understand God's word clearly. Second, endure suffering. As is mentioned in chapter 2, ministry is hard work. It's hard yakka. And like a hard-working soldier, a hard-working athlete, and a hard-working farmer, we are to endure suffering because ministry is hard work and we will suffer for it. There's no doubt about it. And as Christ suffered to endure the wrath of our sins on the cross, so too will we suffer if we are to proclaim the truth of the gospel. Third, do the work of an evangelist. Paul is is not giving Timothy an extra task. You see, preaching the word of God is what an evangelist does. Now, let me be clear though, let me be clear. Not all evangelists are called to be preachers. There is a difference with who can preach and who can evangelize. We can all evangelize, but not all of us will be called to preach. Now, you can chat about that later with others for various reasons that will maybe raise a question for you. But uh, what I want you to know is that when you tell your friend, your neighbor, your brother or your sister about Jesus and what he has done to transform us and change our lives, this is evangelism. Fourth and finally, fulfill your ministry. Timothy, don't stop. Take the first three things I mentioned and do them always. Continue in what you have been called to do and do it all for the glory of God, thus fulfilling your ministry. This is what Paul is calling Timothy to do. But this is also a clear reminder for all of us. All right, now you might, you might be a husband and a father. Don't stop fulfilling your ministry to your wife and children. You might be a wife and mother. Don't stop fulfilling your ministry to your husband and children. You might be at school still or maybe at uni or in the workforce. Don't stop fulfilling your ministry to those around you. It might be tough when you hear different viewpoints. It might be tough when people oppose you. But hold firm to the truth that is Jesus and don't let go. Don't let go. We now come to the last and the third and final thing I want to share with you tonight. That is the final encouragement. Why should believers hold firm? Why? Because one day we will not be here anymore. 
Our time to depart this world will come. We don't know when, but it will come. And when it does, will you be ready to depart? Verse 6 says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul, he is ready to leave this world, and he gives Timothy his final encouragement. And while it's, it's somber and sad that Paul will be debar- departing this world, he knows that his time has come. And when he says that he's being poured out as a drink offering, he's bringing Timothy back to the Old Testament scriptures and reminding him of what happened during sacrifices. You see, blood or wine would be poured on grain and animal sacrifices. Paul is not dying a sacrificial death, you know. He is showing that his time of death is imminent and has begun. He will, he will depart the earth soon. But that is just the beginning. Paul's work has not been in vain. Please look at verse 7 and onwards with me. It says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The imagery used here to describe, Paul, to describe Paul's life is athletic imagery. You see, an athlete puts in a good fight, the term we commonly use. An athlete finishes the race. And an athlete keeps the faith by continuing the race and completing it faithfully. I mean, how gut-wrenching for an athlete to finish the race thinking they've won a gold medal, only then to be told that they're disqualified for being unfaithful to the rules. It's like a 100-meter sprinter winning gold and then being disqualified for doing drugs. Now, Paul is not saying here that becoming a Christian means following rules. No, neither is he denying that we are saved by faith alone and not works. Please hear me out. Please hear me out. The emphasis is not on the I or Paul himself. The emphasis is on what has been done. The fact that Paul has fought the good fight, has has finished the race, has kept the faith, is all because of God's grace. It is God who strengthened Paul. And it is because of what God has done in Paul that he can boast. Paul is he's not boasting in himself here. Paul is boasting in what God has done through him. He has kept the faith by being faithful to God and proclaiming the message of Christ honestly and truthfully. I mean, think about all the false preachers during Paul's time, Timothy's time, and, and even all the false teachers that we have today. I'm talking about false teachers who who swerve from the truth, who who oppose it 
and deny the power of Christ. As verse 8 says, they and all of us will have to stand before the righteous judge one day. And one day, they will have to give an account, we will have to give an account for all that has been done in this life. And, and do you think, do you think that false teachers can, can stand before a holy and righteous God and truly say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith? It's, it's actually very scary to think that one day God will say to them, away from me, you evildoers, I never knew you. See, once again, it's not just false teachers, but all those who reject Jesus will not receive the crown of righteousness mentioned in verse 8. And what is this crown of righteousness? Well, it's not exactly clear if this is referring to the righteousness that we have from Christ or eternal life with Him in heaven. But what is clear is that Christ gives this reward all those who have loved His appearing. Meaning that all those who put their faith and trust and believe in the risen Lord Jesus, who appeared to this earth to rescue us, they will receive this great reward from Him. This reward, it's not just for Paul as it says here, but it's also for all those who believe in Jesus. It's for me, it's for you, for those who put their faith and trust in Him. And unlike a gold medal from the Olympics or a massive cash prize, this reward, it doesn't perish. It lasts for eternity. It's a reward better than anything anyone could ever receive. This week, I was thinking about this reward and pondering it. And just thinking about how amazing it is. And then I realized, I don't deserve this reward. And I can never earn it. The only hope I have is if someone has earned it for me. And that is exactly what Jesus has done for those who put their faith and trust in Him. He has earned our reward. He, he is our righteousness. And He is the one that we look to to remind us that we will receive this final reward. It's all because of Him. So as you run the race, as you fight the good fight, as you keep the faith, Know this, only through Christ Jesus can you achieve this reward. So look to Him. Don't depend on your own strength. Look to the cross and keep running the race. Keep your eyes fixed firmly on Jesus, on what He has done, what He has achieved for you. Because you will stumble. You will fall down. You will get distracted. 
but Jesus will sustain you. By the power of His Spirit, you will be able to finish the race. I mean, look at Paul. He was, he was beaten in so many different towns. He was stoned and almost died on numerous occasions. But God kept him to the end. He held fast to his faith and he didn't give up. He finished the race because the Lord sustained him. He sustained Paul and he will sustain you if you turn to him. So as you, as you fight the good fight, as you run the race, and as you seek to keep the faith, if you were to say your final words to someone, will you be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now, Christ, the righteous judge, will award me the crown of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, preach God's word and run the race. For Christ has a great reward for his people. Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, and we thank you that we do not labor in vain. Lord, we thank you that we do not depend in our own strength. Lord, we thank you that it is through your Spirit, through the powerful work of Christ. Lord, may we continue to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Lord, may we continue to run the race. And Lord, may we have the humility to be reminded that it is only because of the perfect work of our Saviour that we can one day, Lord, be in your presence for eternity. We long for that day. Lord, as we our Lord, finish our time here tonight, as we sing, Lord, about this wonderful gospel that we proclaim and preach to the end, this wonderful gospel that we can proclaim for, for eternity, Lord, may we, Lord, sing with joy in our hearts and gladness. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.